Hello and welcome to the December 12th edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is Mr. Joe. It's my neighborhood. It's my podcast. So, enjoy. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Can't go wrong with that song, no matter what. No matter what year it is, you're always going to love that song. So, um, I, I guess I, I just want to follow up on the last podcast that I made. It might be a little confusing to people who uh, are looking at the names of the podcast. I know I'm, I've am i just gotten into podcasts a couple of years ago, mainly through fantasy baseball, believe it or not, listening to stuff like that. And I know it's a very important part of what I search for when I look for my podcasts. You know, I put in those titles and, and I want to search for certain things. And the very first time I made the podcast, which was about a month ago, um, I uh, I had decided that I was going to call the podcast Remarried with Children. And I completely moved away from that. And i got to be honest with you, and looking, listening back, to the podcast, and I definitely listen back, and I hope that I sound a little bit more upbeat this time around. Um, I am not going to tell you that I am manic right now, because I'm not. Um, I think I'm stable, uh, actually level, and what exactly does that mean? Well, we've got to talk about that, because I, I think I have to switch gears Again, as informative or as entertaining, I shouldn't say informative, lack of information is a better way of saying what went on last time. I mean, you would think that I never taught a child as long as I lived. And the truth is, I've been doing this for 26 years, and I am an extremely educated man, especially when it comes to the world of autism. Um, and that last podcast that I did, uh, I'm not going to get rid of it. It's, it's, a, it's a learning, you know, lesson learned. I'm not proud of it, but you know what? A lot of people listened. I look at the results and the stats, and it looks like people are definitely listening. So maybe if they hear an upbeat version this time around, maybe they'll go back to the first one. They can compare it. Who knows? That's up to you guys. So I use the word upbeat, and I, I guess I should uh, define or at least get into why I mentioned the word manic to the podcast listening world. Um, you know, I label this bipolar podcast for a reason, and I try to come up with a catchphrase um, to get people to listen. And it seems like no matter what I do, no matter what I'm talking to people about, um, in terms of students and their disabilities, my uh, public speaking forms always tend to go back to mental health. Uh, usually starts with anxiety. People really want to know about anxiety and, and what to do to treat it and how to help it. And, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm able to usually educate people on that, mainly because I had my own anxiety symptoms and panic attacks. Uh, I am 42 years old right now. I mentioned that in the last podcast. Uh, the podcast, jeez, God, what was that? You know, that's why they make these buttons to go back and, and erase things, but I'm not. Last podcast, I mentioned my age. My first anxiety attack was at the age of 19. I was away at school. I, I don't even want to talk about that right now. Don't. I have to go back to that 
during another podcast, you know. Now, we talk about personal experiences, guys. That's the way I'm going to educate you. Tried to do it last time, and we've already decided that I wasn't that uplifting last time. Um, and I think it was a combination of things. Not that autism is not interesting, because it certainly is, but I think more of the world today is interested in bipolar. And here's the reason why. The reason why is because half of the people that are potentially listening to this podcast either have bipolar or you've been told by somebody that really cares about you that you are bipolar and you're not really sure if you are or you're, if you're not. Or, you know what, forget about the percentages because I said half the people. Uh, whatever percentage you want to make up, uh, another percentage of the people that are listening to this podcast are going to think that this might educate them about somebody that they care about, not even necessarily yourself. Um, and that takes a lot of love if you're doing that for somebody. But I would imagine this is probably about yourself and your own experiences. And at some point, I've been through so much in my life that one of my little subtitles is going to catch somebody's attention. And then they're going to eventually listen to all my um, informative podcasts. Information that's being given in a way that... I give you my life and my personal experience, and I hope that you could relate it to your own and, and we could figure it out together. So I'm skipping over the anxiety. Okay, forget about that. I, I don't want to talk about that right now. We have to talk about when my first diagnosis came of being bipolar. And for those of you that don't know what bipolar is, understand that bipolar is a mood disorder. I don't have anything in front of me right now. I'm not going to read from the internet. I'm going to tell you what bipolar is for me, and it's possible that it is that way for you. For me, guys, bipolar is a series of moods, and unfortunately with me, um, as I've gotten older, I've realized that my mood, my cycling, has uh, started to increase in terms of its duration and the times that I cycle throughout a period of, let's say, a year, for example. I can tell you right now that we are in the month of December, and unfortunately I've been going through a manic episode of some sort. Now, I will say that I did not. I, I did say I was not manic when I first started this, and I'm not manic, but I had periods of mania since the month of August this year. Before that, I was pretty stable, guys, I have to tell you, but... I'm getting off the topic here. We wanted to find bipolar. And bipolar by me and bipolar by the, the definition of what you would find online is a mood disorder. For me, uh, thank goodness, I don't suffer the hardcore depression of bipolar. Um, in the past, my, depression, my depressive episodes were always brought on by substance abuse or drinking of some sort. So I was never really truly able to get a true read on my depression uh, over the course of the last five years, I've been drug-free other than marijuana. Um, I don't count that as a drug anymore. You guys could agree with me or disagree with me. And that doesn't mean I'm still doing it now. That's, not, that's for you to decide, and we'll get to that. But what I'm telling you is I don't consider that to be a drug. I have been substance and alcohol-free for a period of almost five years, give or take a little bit. We'll do the math later on, but it's been a hell of a long time. And in that period of five years, I could tell you that my depression that I've experienced has never been substance-induced in, uh, in any way, shape, or form. So the extent of my depression 
thank goodness, is a bout usually of crying episodes. And I feel very helpless, feel as if um, I just feel like the need to cry. Um, and, and believe it or not, as happy as I am right now, and I have to be happy in order to do these podcasts, but as happy as I am right now, the feeling that I get when I get so sad that I can cry, and I could always do it in the personal privacy of my own home, it makes me so upset to think about how I feel that I could actually cry thinking about it right now. That's how much it hurts. But it's weird because that's the level that it goes to. And it doesn't really extend into helpless, hopeless feelings. Now, I have been there before. Don't get me wrong. I I had a hopeless, helpless feeling for a period of 100 days straight. But that was, once again, an induced drug-induced state of depression from the drug Suboxone, which I'm not going to get into now either. So uh, hopefully I'm catching a couple of you guys here and you're going to say to yourself, oh my God, I can't wait till this guy hits on this topic because I'm going to get there. We're still on bipolar though, guys. It's for me, we're describing the differences between the moods. And for me, the moods are depression, just crying. But understand, guys, you know, depressive episodes when it comes to bipolar and it's got to it's got to last some time, guys. You know, I'm going to have to eventually read the stupid textbook definition because me just giving you my own personal feelings is not going to cut it. I almost feel guilty for not giving it to you guys. But understand this, that in order for it to be bipolar, guys, you have to have certain periods of depression and certain periods of mania. If you are depressed and you have never had a bout of mania, you will not be considered bipolar. Now, again, depression, for me, crying, depression for somebody else, could come in different forms, not just crying, suicidal. Um, I will tell you that I have been in mixed states of mind lately. I had an episode last weekend in which I was manic. And um, I acted irrational, irritable, crazy with my wife. Um, Thank goodness my children were not here. Well, my seven-month-old was here, so that's something to be mentioned. Um, But I acted like a goddamn lunatic. And afterwards I cried uh, because of the shame and the guilt. And I actually wrote a suicide note, and I saved that note. And I'm going to read that to you guys another time, but... Um, it's interesting because at no time did I really think I wanted to kill myself. It was more of a cry for help towards my wife. And I have not been in that state of mind since probably 2005, maybe 2007. My apologies. Yeah, 2007. So that's 10 years ago, guys. Ten years ago, but we'll get there, okay? That was a, that was a time when I was on a, on a shitload of medication. So for bipolar, when it, the depression for me, we discussed already, depression for other people could be, um, you know, you guys could eat a hell of a lot, you could not eat at all, you know, but for the most part, your eating habits change. The crying, the sadness, the helplessness, hopelessness, this feeling that you just don't understand why you're here if you really even if there's a reason for you to go on and again I haven't had that feeling since my suboxone depression um, you know it's almost like you feel so bad that you're hindering everybody else and 
You know, man, scream with me if you hear what I'm saying, that it's not even about taking your own life because you're in, you, you are in pain, but you know, you feel like you're hurting so many people and burdening so many people that your life would be better. Everybody's life would be better off without you on this world, in this world. And uh, it's not just not true. Um, now, for me, the mania side of things, that's the part where I suffer. And that's the part where I want people to pay attention because the real reason that I'm doing this podcast tonight is because I feel like there are people out there that are living a very similar lifestyle as I once lived or as I am living now on a, on a, a more, on a lessened note than what I used to live with my ex-wife, my current wife. So I had to trim... I actually had to edit, guys. Unfortunately, my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter just called me. And I think it's important that I let everybody know what kind of a phone call that I just got. I got a call from my 14-year-old daughter. She asked for, for her for Christmas the iPhone 8. And it's a lot of money. And she just got a new phone about a year and a half ago. And um, in order for me to make to afford this new phone with Verizon, I just want everybody to understand what I have to do. I have to turn in her old phone, and in order, by what I do, by turning in the old phone, and I'm not a fan of this, guys, usually I sell stuff on eBay, but I, I turn on the old phone, turn in the old phone, and I'll get $300 back, or I will have to not pay $300 off a contract, and I'm, I'm just so upset about this. I, I don't even know if I can continue this podcast. Anyway, if I hand in a good working phone, I get $300 back. This is all be done in a week. So I sent her a text message last night. I said, guys, be real careful with your phones. You got a week left. Hand them in. It'll be great. I'll be able to get you a new iPhone 8. Um, as long as I hand in a good phone, it'll be perfect. And anyway, my daughter just called me hysterical crying from school that her phone is now cracked and she just fell down a flight of stairs and she dropped her phone i I don't even know what to say guys i'm sick to my stomach it's like i should not have even warned her last night i don't even believe her story i'm so upset with her and i know it's an accident i you know but this is where i don't know i start to realize that um i've actually made a lot of strides in my life because normally this would have got me so pissed off I nearly ran downstairs to my wife to rant and rave. I would have never finished this podcast. It would have been an absolute mess. So anyway, here I am. And uh, I don't even remember. I know we were talking about bipolar, and I know we talked about the depression. And I wanted to talk about the mania. But I think what I started to say is the main reason why I started to do, or at least wanted to do this podcast on bipolar, is because I'm starting to see that so many lives across our world and let's be realistic, guys. I'm living in the United States. You don't know who I am. I'm Mr. Joe. It's my neighborhood. But I'm in the United States. Let's let's be real. I'm not anywhere else. You probably figure out my accent by now if you haven't. But neither, neither, it doesn't matter. Needless to say, I'm seeing that so many families live like I used to live, really. And And a lot of times we don't know if it's substance abuse, if it's mental health. I mean, because let's be realistic. Again, guys, you know, every goddamn show that we watch, whether it be Scandal, 
um, you know, and I use Scandal as an example with Olivia, who I, uh, which I don't watch the show anymore, but the woman is constantly drinking wine. I mean, that's what everybody does. Everybody's wine. That's what she's drinking, wine. And it's so interesting because um, when I do a very special training in uh, Mr. Joe's neighborhood for the special school systems that I work with, uh, one of the questions I have to ask the people who I train is, um, after a crisis, what's one of the things that that makes them, um, you know, unwind, uh, you know, when you go through a crisis with a student? And I swear to you, every single training, the same thing each time. They raise their hand and they say, wine, wine, drinking, drinking. Everybody's, everybody's answer to unwinding is drinking. So, you know, this is our life, guys, and... You know, unfortunately, we are surrounded with alcohol and drugs and substances and marijuana and cocaine and uh, the other big one, opiates. And, you know, God, I, I abused opiates for a period of six months. That's it. Six months. And here I am now on a total of six years on, on Suboxone. That's a whole nother story. I uh, can't get off of that. I was off it for three years, withdrew for 188 days, stayed off it for a period of three years, went back on it. I'm back on it now for two years. So, sorry, five years. Anyway, um, but I'm doing this podcast. Here I am 17 minutes in and I can't even get out. The reason why I'm doing this podcast is because so many families live like me. Live like me and, and most of the times it's the men. It's you guys, you're screaming and you're yelling and you think you're right and you swear that you're right and little do you know you have this wonderful wife by your side. And you want to believe that they're out to get you. And that's your punching bag. And whether it's your mother-in-law or your own mother or you're fighting over family shit or you're fighting over money or you fight whatever you're fighting over, you always feel like you're the right one because that's what your brain tells you. You're right. They're wrong. You're allowed to blow up like this. You're allowed to get agitated. You're allowed to call people names that you would never normally use. Um, you know, and that for me, guys, is mania at its worst when I become irritable. Now, mania for me, when I, in terms of bipolar, um, unfortunately for me, will now start off. And I'm going to just describe what I'm experiencing now. Um, and looking back on my life, I certainly know that I had bipolar my entire life. But there was such a, a, a long period of life, my life, where alcohol was a part of my life too, and drugs, so it was hard to really assess my overall health, mental health, but now that I'm clean and sober, I could um, think back to before I did all those drugs, because I really didn't start doing hardcore drugs until like the age of 27, 28, um, my son was born in 2008, 2000, I'd say about 2010, so man, that was like 10 years ago, God. It's what a shame. I mean, it makes you it makes you wonder. It wasn't that long ago, um, but for me, with with my bipolar, um, I will be up. I'll like right now. I hate to say it. I almost have to say I'm probably going to be in a manic phase because normally I could go to bed at eight eight thirty at night. I'm so tired at nighttime. By eight thirty nine o'clock, I want to shut my eyes. It's now ten o'clock here, Eastern Standard Time or Western Standard Time, or Mountain San, San, Mountain Central Standard Time, you know, wherever Mr. Joe's neighborhood is, it, it's, it's 10 o'clock here. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not tired at all. 
I could keep going. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll have this a tremendous amount of energy. And then I get this feeling, this euphoric feeling of, I just think that I'm the best thing in the world and I'm so happy and life couldn't be better. And, um, you know, guys, for those of you who have abused cocaine or have abused opiates in the past, you'll know that, um, and for me, I got the same, more or less the same effects from the two drugs. They both sped me up. Um, you know, I could take a shoebox on opiates and clean a shoebox for like six hours if I really wanted to and get something out of it and think I was doing the greatest thing on earth. Um, but with mania, without any drugs at all, you have this euphoric feeling that you could tackle anything, you could get a lot of things done. And for me, it's usually the most creative times. And the good thing with me is I stay in that constant sense of, and I do know that it is an up, uh, an uplifted, elevated level for me. I do know my level level is not as creative as my happy manic high. And then unfortunately, guys, what happens is, um, lately, I have not been staying in that mode for very long. It's been very short-lived, probably a day or two. And then it, um, for example, my, my most previous one, it just... The most serious, silliest thing, I mean, my, my, my wife wanted to go away for her sister's engagement party or, or bridal shower, and I got mad for no reason whatsoever, and I thought she was sending me out of the house because she didn't want to talk in front of me about it. My wife never hides anything from me. It's the most absurd, ridiculous thing. I was so irrational at the time, and you know, I started accusing people of not listening to me and not paying attention to me. And um, before I knew it, I was agitated and irritable and angry and upset. And, and unfortunately, with my diagnosis, um, which is schizoaffective disorder, I, I began to start to hallucinate and hear voices. And um, for me, that's the extreme, guys. And I don't want to scare you too much and tell you about too much of what goes on with me because most of the time it's not that bad when I'm in that manic phase. Yes, I do get irritable. I do get angry. Um, I do get somewhat anxious. And I get downright mean. Um, could you imagine being like that and in combination with possibly just doing an opiate the night before, or drinking a case of beer the night before, and, you know, imagine what you would feel like the day after, and your behavior would just be just disgusting, absolutely disgusting. So that's bipolar for me, guys. You know, those are the extremes, and um, the name of this podcast, besides being Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast, the subtitle, which I plan on uploading, and I hope I don't have a hard time doing this, guys, in a little while. I was all right last time, um, but I want to get it on iTunes. Is probably going to be cocaine. It's going to be cocaine in the title, because I really wanted to make this about cocaine. And for those of you that don't know, cocaine is a very different drug in 2017 than it was when I abused it back in... Let's see, I, my clean date with cocaine is supposed to be February 24th, 2005, I believe, yes, 2005, and my clean date with opiates is March 27, 2009. 
Um, but definitely got some slip-ups after that. We'll talk about that later. Um, but my, my so-called clean date with cocaine. Um, so we have to do the math, guys, and I'm not good at it. Um, do I get my calculator up? Bear with me for one second. Let's make sure that I can get my calculator up. My, I almost said handy-dandy calculator. Okay. So if it's 2017 and 2007, yeah, 2005 sounds more like it. All right. Um, so that would have been 12 years, 14 years ago, which would have made me 32, yep, this is going to be right, 31, 30, 29, 28. So around the age of, let's say around the age of 28, guys, which would make sense, was the first time that I actually started to abuse cocaine, if you could only imagine. And for me, it was relatively simple. I had an ex-wife, and listen, I'm going to sit here and tell you right now, I'm giving you my personal stories. When I give personal stories, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like I'm blaming other people. There's no doubt about it, because in essence, guys, we all do drugs for a reason. We all reach for the bottle for a reason. You know, don't ever forget that. You have to understand that. But with that being said, you have to take responsibility for your action. And I learned to do that a very, very long time ago. And that's what allows me to stay in recovery um, and actually admit that I have been diagnosed with a disease, a mental illness, and be okay with it and be able to share it with the world. And eventually I'm going to have to. I believe that my podcasts and my writing, which I will be releasing within the next several years, um, is going to get big enough where I'm going to have to tell people who I am. With, the, the, with that being said, um, my very first experience with cocaine was much later on in life. I take responsibility for my actions, but it's easy to look back now and see why I chose the path that I did. I absolutely hated my life at the first time the first time I was married, I had two beautiful children. That was the one thing I did love about my life at the time. Um, I believe I started abusing drugs when my son was very, very young. Probably, um, oh God, uh, probably in a crib, still in a crib. I remember him being in a crib. Um, and what I do know is that I had an ex-wife who absolutely despised my mother and my mother, who was also a very sick woman, uh, not diagnosed clinically with borderline personality disorder, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, she absolutely has borderline personality disorder. And we'll talk about that during another episode as well. If you guys haven't grown up, I grew up with it, so I know exactly what it's all about. Didn't know it at the time, had to figure it out later on in life. Didn't even know it while I was living with my ex-wife. Up until the very end, until I became remarried with my children my my most recent wife helped me that's such a weird way of saying things my most recent wife my wife now my wife forever the wife that I will have for the rest of my life my wife is the one who allowed me and helped me to see 
that uh, my mother was a very, very, very sick woman, um, and still is. And uh, But I didn't even know it so much, really, when uh, my ex-wife would tell me. I, I kind of started to figure things out during, our, I believe it was our third or second, and second separation, in which when I was coming off a boatload of prescription medications, I lost my mind and completely went into an agitated, manic state of mind when I was threatening to kill myself and crying and hanging off a stairwell and, and, and sobbing in front of my children. And um, that was coming off uh, Cymbalta, among other medications. Um, but nevertheless... I had an ex-wife who drove me crazy, hated my mom, my mom hated her, and I don't remember, I believe it was a New Year's Eve party of some sort, and believe it or not, of course, it was my ex-wife who introduced it to me. It wasn't even me, I saw my ex-wife doing it, and I was actually angry about it too, because I was not a believer in it, wasn't a fan of it during my years in college, uh, fraternity brothers and other people in the college, they would snort cocaine, and if they did it on my countertop, they would be thrown out of my house. They weren't allowed to do it. So I didn't like the drug. I didn't like it at all. But let me tell you something. Once I tried it, <laughs> that was a whole different ball game. I, I mean, I always say to people, and I, say, I used to say this to one of my buddies, uh, we'll call him Art, um, during one of my alcohol anonymous meetings me and my buddy art used to say man you lock us in a room with a pitcher of ice cubes and cold water and a bag of cocaine and we will be fine okay preferably back then it would have been a case of beer um you know thoughts like that i can't even think about anymore they sicken me i don't even get the cravings for them anymore thank goodness but i'm also on medication treatment to help me with that um again down the line. My first experience with cocaine, though, guys, was such an interesting one because I loved that drug. It was an easy way for me to escape. I hated what my mother was doing to me. I hated what my ex-wife was doing to me. And before you knew it, I was functioning on cocaine on a daily basis. I was going to work on it. And you got to remember, I work with children, okay? Um, now, thank goodness, I would always wait until my sessions with the children were done. Um, I had enough of a brain to know that I couldn't do it on the job. But let me tell you something. The minute I pulled out of wherever I was at for the day, I was snorting lines and most of the time doing it in my car and not safely. Um, you know, and, and before you knew it, as a cocaine user, and if you're a new user, what you start to feel is that this overwhelming sense that you can kick this habit anytime you want and you start to you know the stories of it being abuse uh, being easily abused and um, addictive and all those things there these I, I remember actually going out and buying a book because I was so confused about cocaine and the addiction of cocaine to see if I could actually manage my addiction because I enjoyed the drug so much because it made my head level. I was, at the time, probably having bipolar um, attacks of some sort, stress in my life, 
because stress is the number one thing that will usually bring on anxiety and depression and any kind of mental illness that you might suffer from that is susceptible to stress, most often bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, attention deficit disorder. Some of these things can all be brought out by stress and anxiety, although attention deficit disorder uh, tends to sit more with the school age diagnosis not that adults can't have it but it's more of that disability category it's not it's a little different than a mental health issue um, although they can be intertwined and many people with bipolar also suffer from ADD um, with that being said the cocaine use was doing something for my brain and I liked it um, towards the end ironically I started getting really bad cocaine, and I remember being able to go to bed by like nine, ten o'clock at night. <laughs> I wasn't able to stay up anymore. Um, this was about nine months into it. I started realizing that um, wasn't really doing the trick for me anymore, and and and, and it it was almost like um, the the path was set for me to make sure that I knew that I found a dealer who was horrible and he wasn't giving me good cocaine and, you know, it was time to quit. And I did. I actually quit. And I quit for a little over a month. And then I remember quitting and saying to myself, well, look how long you went. You know, you did it once. You could do it again. And I sent my ex-wife out on a little uh, family expedition with the kids to go to her family's house. And I said, I'm not going to be joining you today because I have to write reports. And the minute she walked out the door, I inquired about an old contact and found an old drug dealer's name better than the drug dealer I was dealing with. Because now, you know, we're starting with starting from scratch here. You know, it's a, it's a whole new set of circumstances. You know, I am not going back. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it hardcore. I'm not going back to that dealer who was giving me nonsense. So, um, of course, I call, um, and I get the best shit in the world. And, um, you know, I'm doing cocaine, and I'm drinking beer all day, and I'm drinking vodka, and I'm drinking wine. And the amount of drinks that are in my system are just... I can't even begin to tell you. And I believe I did over two and a half grams of cocaine that night. And I went out and I drove and one of my friends came over and I accused my friend of being with my ex-wife. Um, not that I gave two shits. I kind of wanted him to be. I was looking for a reason for it to be over. Um, but just, you know, irrational drug-like behavior, horrific, horrible behavior. Um, and then I went home and I slept it off and I woke up the next day and that's when my entire life changed. That very day my entire life changed because I decided that day that I was addicted to cocaine and I didn't understand why and it didn't matter that I hadn't done it for a whole month. I knew that I needed help desperately and, uh, I called the only two people that I knew that I, at the time I thought could help me. And at the time, they were a great help, but I later came to find out they were actually my worst possible support systems in the world, which was my own own two parents. Um, not the people to turn to, but at the time they were. And they turned to my wife. And, and I will tell you, I, I cried in my dad's arms that day. And I said, you know, Dad, don't be disappointed with me. Uh, he said, son, I could never be disappointed. What are you doing? Tell me what's happening. 
why didn't you just tell me? You, you never have to be embarrassed. I'll always help you. And I said, Dad, I'm addicted to cocaine, and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, we're going to get your help, son. And him, my dad and my mom instructed my ex-wife to put me in a car um, and uh, take me to the hospital. Now, normally it would not be an easy way to get admitted to a hospital. Just walk in and say, hey, I'm addicted to drugs. Somebody help me. It was rather easy for me, though, this day. Um, and the reason why it was was because I had rope burns stretched across from ear to ear on my neck. And uh, my ex-wife had to cut me down from a rope inside my garage. Um, and, you know, that's what transpired before my parents had arrived and put me in the car. So when I got to the hospital, they had no issues at all accepting me in as an inpatient, stayed for a period of 15 days altogether. Um, so I went in with a substance abuse problem of alcohol and cocaine, and I came out with bipolar, and that was their diagnosis for me that particular day. Bipolar 2, actually, was the diagnosis. And, and that was the day that everything changed. I don't have that diagnosis anymore. Things have been a lot different since then. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you enjoyed being in Mr. Joe's neighborhood for today. This was, I guess, Cocaine 101. I don't know. Listen, I'm going to do a lot more of these. I'm going to try and do one every three or four days, at least once a week. I'll see you guys soon. Three, two, one.